vet as much as you can, um, that the market, that the opportunity, uh, look at the historical facts, look at what the data, they're, they're going to give you the best data ever. They're going to make it look shiny. And that's what I want to see is what's, what's the best outlook, but also realize it's still real estate and it could go either way. And you have to understand you're still in a real estate transaction, no matter how you shake it. Welcome to the Rent to Retirement Podcast, your resource for passive real estate investing and retirement strategies. If you're new to real estate or planning your financial future, you're in the right place. Join us at renttoretirement.com to find your path to financial freedom and an easy, carefree retirement. Enjoy the show. Hey, Rent to Retires, it's Adam Schrader here with another episode, joined as usual by the CEO and founder of Rent to Retirement, Zach Lee Master. And we are joined once again, but not as usual, by Corey Zygman, one of the investment strategists here. So, uh, lady and gentlemen, uh, thanks for joining. Good to be here, Adam. Yeah. So, Zach came to us and said, hey, I want to talk syndications. And I said, well, you know what, Zach, I personally never invested in syndications because it hasn't seemed to really fit my wheelhouse, but I know someone who has. Um, you know her too, and that's Corey. And so, we wanted to bring her on for this discussion. Obviously, there's a lot of people out there nowadays who call themselves syndicators. We get emails for people who want to be on our show. And I think Zach, what, 95% of them are probably pitching syndications. Um, so as an outsider, I know what I think of when I think of syndications. But Corey, when you hear syndications, what are you? what does it mean to you? So before I got into syndications, I thought it was just like a great way to park my money, no toilets and tenants. So after owning a ton of real estate, I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. I still get the same return and I get like these IRRs and all these things. So that was what I thought before I got into syndications. Um, yeah. And then a little different since I've been in syndications. <laughs> when I look at uh, when I look at syndications, I think um, and just just for the preference here, the reason we're doing this is because this is a common thing that people are asking about right now. And a lot of syndications are being pitched, as, as you just mentioned, Corey, where it is a passive way to invest and a preferable way to invest versus owning actual physical property because it is more passive. And for all intents and purposes, it, it is more passive. Um, you're truly giving your money to someone else to manage for you that is managing a project. But it is really important, I think, in the goal of today is to go through like, okay, we'll start by defining what is a syndication? What are some alternative ways that you can invest your money versus syndications? What are the pros and cons of syndication? How do you compare it to actually property ownership? When is it right? When it may not be right for you? What are the risks? How do you vet a syndication? Um, but just backing up a little bit, like the reason why there's so many syndicators that have just kind of popped up everywhere is that the, the laws have changed in terms of, uh, in terms of lending and, and how you can actually promote. And this has just been over the past, you know, five or six years. And so, um, previously, and I, I can't quote you on exact legislation, but previously you, you could only, you know, market to people that you had pre-existing relationships with, you have to have like a, you know, certain um, classification and the type of fund. And, and now uh, the gates have been opened up a little bit where it's easier for people to have the ability to be a sin to like raise money from other people. Cause that's ultimately what you're doing in a syndication is raising uh, money from other people to pool it. And there's a lot of people that are syndicators of syndicators, right? And so there's people that are syndicators that are just pooling money that are actually going to pool your money with other people 
and then invest it in a different project. So you may not even be attached to the actual project. And that's extremely important for people to understand, which is, is really vague in a lot of ways going into it. There's so many like this company capital or something capital or capital this, capital that, that is just like raising money that has nothing to do with the project. They're actually finding GPs. And so there's that's the first disti distinction I think is important to know. Like, are you, if you're going to invest in a syndication, which is giving someone money to invest in a project, is are they the actual operators um, or are they a capital raiser that's going to go out and find operators, which is further detached? I'm not saying there's one right or wrong way, but it's important to understand the difference between those two and, and how you're investing. But let's talk about real quick, Adam and Corey, like, Syndication is a way that you can just give your money for, to someone to invest. But what are some other ways that we can just, uh, I think to understand all your options, what are some other ways we can just give money to people to, in, to invest? What do you think? I mean, you've always got REITs, technically speaking. I mean, that's REITs are pretty passive. I mean, syndication is definitely incredibly passive, like you were saying. But I mean, I, I, I don't do them, so. <laughs> uh, I think you'd be a private money lender, so being able to lend out, which I've done on, on deals and got a return. And, you know, there's more of a short term, more of an active strategy uh, versus the syndications that I'm in. But I feel like that's another good way. 100%. So that's kind of the big, big distinction. You guys brought up the two other ways. One would be like a REIT, which is more similar to stocks, right? It's, it's really fun. Um, and then the, the other option. So you got syndication, you got REIT, and then you also have just being a private money lender, which where you lend money, um, to, to someone and you are typically, and it can vary. I mean, it's really, the sky's the limit on how you structure that. There's less like SEC regulation and government regulation in that. Um, potentially more risk. You just need to vet the opportunity, but you're, you're lending money to someone to like rehab a project. A perfect example would be like, you know, one of our partners, call him Steve Yoke in um, Ohio is, you know, rehabbing properties and and um, flipping them and you go and you know you fund his hundred dollar or hundred thousand dollar acquisition and rehab and then you know he pays you a set interest rate um, and it's maybe a six month term where you are you know flipping you're helping him flip that property and usually you're secured by that property and more than likely you're the only person that is on that that loan so you're like you know you're a lender you're, you should at least the, this is the way in my opinion you should be lending money is actually having secure securitization um, you're backed by physical asset and you are in syndications as well, but with a syndication, you have a lot, like there are a lot more people involved in this. Um, so I think that's just an important framework to set on, on syndications, but um, maybe we can talk about just kind of, I don't know, Adam, what do you think well, in terms of, I would want to know, I mean, we've got, you know, investors coming to us and looking into syndications, looking into our stuff. I mean, you run a turnkey company, Corey, you do flips, you do, you know, you were obviously in the turnkey space as well. Why, why would you choose to go down this route? Is it strictly just no toilets and tenants or what was it that led to the decision to, to go that route and trust somebody else? For me? Both of you. Yeah, we'll start with you. I mean, I knew the operators. I've known them for years. We've did, we did a lot of business together. I knew them over a decade, um, you know, very heavy in the real estate space. So I, I knew and trusted them. Uh, which I think is super important when you have an operator, like you have to know historically, have they been successful in real estate? Do you like and trust them? I think, you know, if somebody comes to you and they're like, hey, there's this great opportunity in, in the Bahamas and, you know, 
you could do that. That's probably not the one I would go into, but I, I knew these gentlemen. And when I heard the numbers, they made sense to me. Uh, but as real estate goes, you know, there, there obviously were variables that came up once I got into it, but that was why I went into it because I, I knew them. I trusted them. I, I knew they had a, a great track record of success in real estate. That is the biggest thing, I think, when vetting a syndicator, if you're looking at investing, um, and I'll get to your question in a second, Adam, but I think there's two main things you want to vet. And one is the, the operator, and the second is the market, the actual opportunity. You cannot be blind to what the opportunity is. Um, and you can have the best operator out there, but things can change, right? And that deal could still go south. And so uh, when I'm looking at, I think the best thing I heard Corey say was track record. You know, usually when you're, when you're investing in syndication, like I want to see a track record, not of all the projects that are currently underway. I want to see the completed projects, right? I want to see investors' money returned and I want to see how those actually performed because I've been unfortunately party to this where I've invested earlier in my career path in syndications and I don't anymore. And that's just personal preference because I found more value in like owning physical assets that I have control over. Um, but I've, I've invested money with people where, you know, it's, it was a five-year, say a five-year term. Uh, and then I got interest only payments for those whole five years. And then when it was time to exit the deal to come to find out the operator is bankrupt and he's underwater, uh, you know, and then, so then the bankruptcy went another three or four years and we only got a, a very small percentage of our money back. And it's just a really uh, frustrating process. And we had no idea that the project was because they weren't required to report on performance. You know, that was just in the documents. So let's just set the platform. Like what, it, like how does a syndication work typically? So Adam, to your question, I don't invest anymore, but I initially did. And I think a lot of people are, are attracted to syndications, yes, because it's just like, it's just hands off, right? And and that can be very passive, but I also caution like the more passive things are and the like you have less control. Um, and I always think of like, if you're jumping into real estate, it takes a lot of money uh, to invest in a syndication initially, unless you're doing some sort of like crowdfunding, which would be another way to potentially invest. But like, I would encourage you, like my opinion is own physical assets first. So you have a good foundational understanding of real estate to allow you to be a better investor in things like syndications. But typically with a syndication, you're how this works in most cases is that you're giving there's there's what's called GPs and LPs. So you have your general partners and your LPs. Now the GPs are the principals um, and they're usually the people finding the deal, according to the rehab of the deal. They have control over the deal uh, and they are raising the money for the deal. And usually these are multiple people involved in this. Now, all the people that they raise money from are limited partners, LPs meaning you own a very small percentage of that property and that property performance. And you have very little input into how, you know, the decisions that are going to be made and how that property is going to perform. And that's fine and dandy. That's how things are written out. Um, you know, and this is, this is not uncommon. This is normal for a syndication to be structured this way. And on an LP side, usually when you're raising private capital, the most average amount to invest I've typically seen is around 50,000. Um, but the syndicator could do any sort of the GP could put together any sort of structure they need. Now there are different SEC regulations. You can have like a 506 B or C or whatever the case is. Like, do you allow accredited investors or non-accredited? Uh, usually if it's accredited only, there's higher involvement amounts and higher risk with that. Because what they're saying is if you're an accredited investor, you should understand the risks associated with this. And, you know, you understand that you potentially could lose all your money. And also it has to come down to the regulation of how many people can be involved in this. If they're investing from in allowing unaccredited investors, you know, and there's certain ways to do this, not to get into the weeds of this, just so you have a baseline understanding. You know, there's certainly usually limited amount of people that can invest in, in an unaccredited fund. And you, there's certain disclosures and relationships that need to be established and things like that. 
But that's typically what a syndication looks like. You're usually investing your money for a longer period of time. And so this is not like your Corey's example of investing into something where it's going to be a flip. You're usually investing for multiple years where you're anticipating a return over that period of time. And then when the project you get usually like an, uh, what would be called a pr preferred return, meaning you're paid before the GPs are not always, that's not always the case. Um, but this is usually where you get paid a monthly interest, like interest only in most cases. And then when that operator either refinances or sells the GPs refinance or sell that project five years later, usually you get, this is where your IRR comes into play because you get this, you get a share in the equity. Um, right. And I think that's, that's important to know. Um, Adam, what else am I missing here on, on some of the syndication well, evaluations? One of the things I'm curious about is you mentioned on the one that didn't go well, that, you know, you, you got your payments that you were talking about, and then you found out, you know, at the end that there wasn't anything there that they were going bankrupt. Was there something along the way that you could have found out that they were going bankrupt in some way you could have vetted them more during the process to know how things were going? Or was it just, com you would have been completely blind no matter what? Based on how, because now that attorneys are involved in looking at like the, the bankruptcy court and things like this and looking at how the PPMs, usually that's um, that's what you would sign going in as a limited partner. Um, I think it's a private placement memorandum or whatever it stands for to, to be a limited partner and, and go through the documents. Um, typically, uh, you know, there are disclosures that need to be made to investors, depending, again, if you're accredited or unaccredited. Um, there's, there's not much regulation on accreditation, uh, for accreditation for like, if it's just accredited investors, we, I probably could have been a lot more involved, but typically you're not right. As an LP, how many often, how often are people going out and like meetings, sitting down with the general partners, evaluating, doing extensive research, visiting the market, like understanding they they don't have to, the GP in a lot of cases does not have to involve you because you're, you're not a decision maker. You're a small minority owner in that. Um, and so I don't know, Adam, I'm sure we probably could have been more aware, but the reality is even if we were, we probably wouldn't have been able to do anything about it, yeah, you know, um, I had a couple other points to mention, but I keep, I'm going off on these tangents. So reel me back in here. No, it, it's tough because, you know, same It's I'm in three of them and that money is completely locked up and somebody else is making decisions. Uh, one of them, which was a, a much larger investment that sounded fantastic. Um, and I went in in 2020 and then this year, you know, we all, all of us that were investors that got into it, they took the loan on an adjustable rate, which I never take adjustable rate mortgages for this reason. And now we have a very, very high multi, multi, multi-million dollar asset on an adjustable rate. So obviously that affects everybody's return. So again, for me, like Zach, I like the flexibility. Um, I, I like owning assets. I think like, you know, syndications are fine. You get a K-1. So anytime they do, you know, capital improvements, things like that to the property, uh, you get that for tax purposes at the end of the year. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's you're someone else owning, controlling, and they really don't have to tell you everything that's happening. Um, it's good when they do but you get your quarterly or biannually small statement and check. Um, and that's kind of how it goes. So this was, um, and those are super good points. I remembered what I was uh, going to mention previously in syndications too. like a lot of people just, you guys got to fully understand it. So many people jump into a blind and then you're like, you're stuck for five years. Right. Um, and we're not here to poo poo on syndications. There is a time and place for all investing. Yeah. 
we're here to just say like, okay, you really, here's the things you need to really like think about and know when you're giving money to anybody, whether it's syndication or not, um, is to understand fully who you're working with, what you're investing in, what are the potential worst case scenarios? The potential worst case scenario in syndication is you lose all your money, right? Like in very, there's been things in the past where people have committed fraud and like that, all the government sees all that money, right? And so it's like, <laughs> you know, you hear about those stories in the news. Adam, I, I sent you one recently. Um, actually, that's not even a fraudulent case. That was just a case similar to this, Corey, where, yeah, you have adjustable rates and all of a sudden you have rates that are double what they were a year ago. Like that screws up your entire financial picture. And guess who loses their money on it? The investors first, <laughs> right? Not the GPs who probably don't have money into the deal in the first place are very limited. Um, so that's important to know. But also, a lot of times you the deal has to start performing, right? Before you start earning money. You're not typically earning money from day one. If this is how a syndication work is like how you're everyone's making money collectively is they're pooling, the GP is pooling money from investors to go out and take down a large project, a value add, let's say a large multifamily that's underperforming, it's vacant and needs rehab. Like it may take two or three years to get that property rehabbed and stabilized to where it's producing income for you to actually see cash flow on it. And that's important to know. Like I remember when I first went into syndication, I'm like, am I, aren't I supposed to receive like a 12% return monthly For tech? My money. <laughs> yeah. I got the same thing. Yeah, that was, that was ignorance of all of us. Like, so it's yeah. like, you know, and they're like, oh, no, 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 no. We got to rehab. Like we're two years out probably from seeing a return because we got to stabilize the asset and hopefully things, you know, go, go according to plan and there's not a lot of obstacles. But I think, um, and we'll get into vetting specific syndications, guys. We, we've had probably, I don't know, 50 different syndicators on our show, just talking about different things and different asset classes. That's important too, right? Like this could be mobile home parks, which has crazy good tax benefits, but also is a completely different business model. It could be storage unit, it could be multifamily, it could be retail. Um, we've raised private capital uh, for people to, and not necessarily a syndication, but you know, we, we also have areas for people to invest with us. Usually it's sharing in the ownership of stuff. And this is larger projects that we have going on, but I want to compare and contrast just to like, look at some bullet points. I'd be interested to hear your guys' opinion on physical property ownership versus owning fractional ownership, like in a, in a private money lending situation. Like, can we just do some comparison on pros and cons of, of both? I mean, I don't even like letting my property managers having control over my asset. Most of the time I, I keep my property managers on a fairly tight leash as to what they're allowed to do for me, uh, which is why, you know, I haven't even, I haven't even, honestly, I've been people, you know, whenever they come to me and talk about syndications, I'm just like pass. Um, Cause I know that it wouldn't go well. I would be that LP knocking on the GP's door and the GP would be telling me to go away um, and keep my mouth shut. And it just, <laughs> it would never go well. Yeah. But you have to deal with tenants though, Adam, and you got to deal with the rehab and like, I why would, why would you, why do you choose deals with the tenants? I just ask them all the questions about why they're doing things for the tenants. So to play devil's advocate, though, I mean, like, give us some more concrete reasons of why why you choose rental property investing and physical ownership over um, private lending. Oh, I mean, it's mostly just I can I can get the cash flow now. I can leverage myself more. You know, the idea. I mean, I do want to do private lending. Don't get me wrong. I something I'm in the process of working up the reserves for since we're buying all the other properties and the reserves are going towards that. But, you know, having to put a hundred grand into an operator's hand so that they can do, you know, their project is a lot different than putting, you know, 50 grand in to get an entire, 
property that I can uh, get the cash flow on and see the appreciation on over time and know that it's already completed in there for me. So I just, yeah, I, I don't do well with other people being in control. I, I don't even like letting my wife drive the car when I'm in it because I don't, uh, I don't like being the passenger in the car because I like to drive it and be responsible for my own death if it happens. So Adam's so. a control freak. What, what about you, Corey? Cause you invest in both. I'm like, I don't so. care. I'm just like, whatever. I mean, my property manager, like it's over $500. Tell me. And then I'm like, yeah, fine. Um, and I mean, syndications to me were attractive just because I could park my money, I could get this return. And, and I felt like, I mean, I had been investing well over a decade when I got into my first syndication. So I felt like I understood numbers. I understood, you know, again, the people that were operating. Um, but now I'm just like, no, I, I prefer, I mean, both sides. I, I, I understand why people invest in syndications because they think like, if you're super, super, super busy, you, you, you don't want to buy turnkey the only thing you're looking at is like doing something in your backyard, managing something. Absolutely. Just even making a smaller percentage than what you make in a bank, what you'd make in a mutual fund. Um, and, and it's a gamble. You know what I mean? It's the same as I feel like a syndication is, is like a stock you're going to win or, or not, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, not, not everybody takes a loss and there have been people that have taken really big wins. Um, but again, I, I don't like my money locked up for five years. There could have been so much that I could have done, with those funds, especially with just the opportunities that are always coming up for us. Um, but I like to invest in hard assets because I like to back my income against a hard asset. I like to take the depreciation schedules, things like that. So, and I can't really do that with a syndication. And again, somebody else is managing it, not in a controlling way. I just, I think that for me, there's better returns. But again, I think if you have no other alternative than to just keep it in the bank, I find, I think that a syndication and in, in some respects could be a different alternative to like putting it in the market. Yeah. Just doing, doing something I think yeah. is, is, is vitally important. And, and that's key. Like if you're not going to own rental real estate, then uh, you know, what else are you going to do? And you're not going to do stocks. Like you certainly can't have your money in, um, in the bank with high inflation as, as we see now. Uh, well, well maybe, maybe if you're in a money market, actually money markets and, and TV uh, treasury bills are, are doing okay right now. But um, but you should be low. It's just such a low, relatively speaking, compared to you know certainly what you can do elsewhere, and and so that it may be a it may be a fit. I think diversification is key, in my opinion. Kind of like what I would recommend to someone if they were just asking me, like, do I invest in syndication? I'm brand new to rental real estate or real estate in general. Like, should I invest in a REIT? Should I invest in syndication? So I buy my own properties, like. You know, there's there's a handful of different things you can do in real estate, which are, are which are attractive and potentially all the above over time. But at least like a starting point, I would highly encourage people own rental real estate first. That way you have a good foundation of understanding real estate. And then maybe as you have more disposable income and you don't want to necessarily add doors to your portfolio, then maybe it's appropriate to, you know, give, hand your money over to someone else to to manage, you know, the, the project for you um, and diversify across multiple syndications and syndicators, I think would be important too, if you're going to continue to invest. Uh, yeah. so same it, thing. You don't want, you know, diversification is key, key. And like what Corey was saying, I mean, she'd been in it for a decade before she did it because she had the relationships with the people. If you're just starting out and you're buying your first property, you probably don't have the relationships in the industry that, you know, are going to be long running and make you feel confident long term. So if you get in, get some physical assets, you know, go to conferences or meetups or, you know, just even online forums or something like that, where 
you can get to know and form, you know, a group of people and know your people. Then in five, 10, 15 years, whenever, if you're looking to do it, you at least have, you know, a group of people who, if, if they're not the ones who are going to do it for you, they can point you towards the actual trustworthy ones that they've seen success with. And you're not just going out there and saying, well, this guy has a, you know, a YouTube following of this many thousands. So I'm going to give him all my money because I watched five videos. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I think, um, I mean, that's a good point. We probably have a lot of our syndicator friends and, and colleagues that are, if cringing, if they listen to this, they're probably not listening to us anyway, but this, this is our show. So we get to say what, say what we want, uh, our opinions. But I think just to do like a quick comparison, syndication versus, uh, you know, just property ownership in general, like property ownership, less passive, right? You need to be more involved with it. And I would, I would, say that there is no such thing as truly passive income because you really need to be monitoring stuff. Even though you don't have control in a syndication, it's still not passive, right? You need to be like, you know, being conscious and at least doing due diligence on the front end. But property ownership, less passive, no doubt about it. You're dealing with tenants. Even if you're buying turnkey, you have management set up, like you still have to manage your manager and like you will still have variability. Syndication, absolutely passive, good good or bad, like you don't have control, right? So that's that, then that's a pro for property ownership is control. You have the ability to change property managers to make executive decisions. You own that property. You are 100% secured in that property by physical asset. That's likely not just going to lose 100% of its value. Um, it's, I mean, if the property is stabilized, so I would say this actually property ownership is less risk significantly from a syndication where the risk is potentially losing all or a good portion of your money that you have little control on. Um, property ownership is more liquid. We talked about that as well. Liquidity is when I'm looking to invest in something, whatever it is, I look at like really four main things. I look at what is the risk profile. I look at how much time is involved and like how much, and then the third thing would be the return that I'm going to get. Um, uh, and then also in the risk profiles also like, how well do I know that, that investment? And the fourth thing is liquidity. And that's, that's huge. Like there's opportunity costs, right? So if the market changes, um, there, if, if you, there's a new opportunities core, you mentioned that comes up. So in a property, even though your money's in a property, you can sell the property. You could potentially do a HELOC if you have equity in it, like you can access capital, um, in it and within a fairly reasonable amount of time. It may fluctuate once you sell it for, but like a syndication, there's no exit, right? Like you're you're stuck in that deal, and you just gotta you gotta do that. And so it is tough to have your money tied up for that period of time. Um, and then also there there could be more regulation on syndications, uh, so it's less accessible. I would say that as well, because in a lot of these you need to be accredited, you need to be accredited investor, um, which you can easily Google that and see what what accreditation means um, for you. If if and then there are some where you can be an unaccredited investor. Um, you know, but there's just more limited access to those. Let's talk about uh, due diligence uh, as far as vetting syndicators. And I think this is kind of the key things. Like, let's say you've decided that, hey, you've got a solid rental portfolio. Oh, well, let me say one more thing. The biggest difference between rental property ownership and syndications, in my opinion, long term, and this is a nature of being like being a little bit involved, is just education. And this is why I truly think someone going and investing in a, a rental property first, even if it's just one, like just that firsthand experience of going through, even if you had turnkey, you have someone managing it, like just going through and learning how to evaluate a market, to learn how financing works, to learn how due diligence with inspections and appraisals and, you know, insurance and title work and looking at all these things like, the, you, 
you will gain significantly more experience to make you more savvy investor long-term simply going through and physically owning rental real estate. You can take all the courses that you want, go to all the seminars, but if you're not actually buying property and having that firsthand experience, there's no better substitute than just buying rental real estate to get, get experience. In syndications, I would, I would gather that you probably are not learning much. You're not learning how to syndicate a deal. You're not learning how GPs are operating. Like you're just giving your money over and that's, that's okay. That serves a purpose, but I just wanted to hit that point home, but let's talk about vetting. Let's talk about, let's, okay. You've got your rental portfolio. You want to buy it. You want to invest in syndication. You want no more tenants or toilets as Adam would say. So um, how do we, how would you guys go about vetting a syndicator and an opportunity once you, cause there's so many out there right now. How many syndications have they done? Are they actually the managing partners? How much do they have into the deal? Um, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, and again, it's real estate. It's the same as if you went and bought a house, you could win or you could lose, you know, it's, it's going to, it's going to be thumbs up or thumbs down on that one. So it doesn't matter. Even I've found, and I don't know, Zach, you probably say, because I felt, feel like you just didn't not bet anything on it. Everybody, you know, can hit a bunch of home runs. Eventually you're Adam, that's for you. <laughs> you know, we watch a lot of baseball, but I think, but there's could be a loss and you have to understand you're still getting into real estate, even in a syndication. Um, so vet as much as you can, uh, bet the market, bet the opportunity, uh, look at the historical facts, look at what the data they're, they're going to give you the best data ever. They're going to make it look shiny. And that's what I want to see is what's, what's the best outlook, but also realize it's still real estate. And it could go either way. And you have to understand you're still in a real estate transaction, no matter how you shake it. And, you know, I mentioned uh, jokingly the YouTube followers, but in somebody who does have a, a good amount of followers and a good track record, they you should be able to find out online fairly easily whether or not uh, any of their other stuff has been scams. Um, if they have, you know, if investors have had positive reviews, I mean, there's a lot of things. I mean, having someone who is known in the industry leading the charge is a significant uh, benefit, even if, you know, it might be, might take a little bit more to get into the deal possibly if the, if they have a bigger track record, but, you know, just doing simple Google searches or, you know, paying for some form of a background check on them just to make sure that you're not getting into a deal with someone who's going to, you know, buy something and walk away with your money. I'm I love that you just said that background check because that is a lesson I learned the, the hard way of like people now give people the benefit of the doubt things have maybe you know unfortunately not worked out for them in the past or they could have purposely defrauded people whatever the case is but yeah run a background check right if if someone is a felon and a multiple offender or something like maybe not someone you should be giving money to right <laughs> and so uh but they could you may not be able to find that publicly right depending on the state and things like this depending on how long it's been so I mean Definitely background check. Um, I think vetting, uh, Corey, you hit all the, the nail on the head with the vetting the operator. That's really a key thing. Um, knowing what the communication, I like set expectations up front, right? Like, what do I have access to? Um, what type of reports and frequency am I going to see? What level of financials am I going to look at? Um, you know, those those are all important things to look at. And I just want to make this this final point of like when you're looking at track record, track record is not. It is not current deals underway because you could have someone that put together 
three or four syndications that are a five-year term and they haven't completed a single one of those, but they've been paying all their investors and everyone's happy and raving about them, but they no one's actually exited those deals. So track record is completed deals where the investors got paid out. If they don't have any of those, that's a, that's a red sign. The syndicators that I know that have been, been doing this for 20 plus years, not just popping up out of the weeds because you know the legislation changed and they have a track record. They have multiple deals to show you, not just one, just two multiple deals, likely in different markets where they've exited those and investors have been paid off um, and they can show you, walk you through A to Z. So I think that's the biggest thing to look at. And obviously evaluating the market, markets can change, but you know, where are you investing? What type of asset class is this? What is the future outlook? Those are all important things to understand and maybe have an attorney look at the, look at the contract and understand your privileges because those PPMs, usually people don't read them. There's 50 page documents. No one's going to sit down and read all that. It may cost you a couple of grand for an attorney to read it. Might be worth it, right? If you're putting 50 plus K. So anyways, hopefully this will allow you to have a little bit better education in evaluating syndications. Of course, we'd be happy to help you thoroughly evaluate things as well. All right. Well, on that uh, fun note, we're going to wrap up for the day. Really appreciate everybody uh, hopping on and listening to this discussion. Uh, Zach just talked about looking at markets. If you want to see his copy of the top 20 markets to invest in in 2023, send that email request to podcast at renttoretirement.com. That's podcast at renttoretirement.com. And we will get that sent over to you right away. If you want to check out the inventory that we have that is not syndicating, it's the one you can actually own for yourself. You can find that at renttoretirement.com. Zach, Corey, absolute pleasure speaking with y'all today. Really appreciate you joining me and really appreciate all of you listening and educating yourself today. Talk to you on the next episode.